I am glad to see you this morning, really glad to be with you. My name is Rob, I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and this uh, campus is kind of home base for me, and y'all, if you've been coming the last few weeks, you've been seeing an awful lot of me, and good news is you're going to have other teachers as well. We have a te- whole teaching team, and I'm a, a part of that, and throughout the course of time, if you're new visiting with us, you get to hear from several different pastors. This morning, we are in a series that's particularly local to us. It's focused on our congregation, this series called Prayers for the Church. And uh, we're in this series, and I'll tell you more about it in a minute, but part of why we do this is to give us a sense of community together. And this community, this body, this local congregation of Christ followers right here at uh, Fellowship Franklin. And in the spirit of kind of wanting to form more community for us, I want to remind you that today, after the second service, we're going to have a church picnic. So maybe you came this morning and you thought, oh, it wasn't, I'd forgotten about this. Maybe you didn't even know about it. We want to encourage you, invite you to come back. I was thinking about this. It gives you the perfect amount of time to go out after this service and go catch some pokies and then come back. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's all right. That's fine. I don't actually have any idea what I'm talking about either. I just know that that's something that's the thing out there. Uh, but uh, go, go, uh, go home, take a little break, take a rest, maybe go run some errands, come back, join us for lunch. We'll look forward to that. $5 per person, $15 max for fam- per family, and we'll enjoy that. It'll be about 12.15 after the ser- second service today, uh, rain or shine, although I think, uh, I think the rain is unlikely, fortunately. So this uh, series we're in called Prayers for the Church is based around the book of Psalms, so we're picking a different psalm each week. But in more fuller sense, we're actually taking a look at our mission statement at Fellowship Bible Church, talking about how we're going to live that out and how we feel like God is leading us as a body to live that out, particularly over the next year. So I want to start this message the same way we started the message last week, for those of you that were here. And I want us to say our mission statement together at Fellowship Bible Church. So it's up there on the screen. So say it with me, if you would. To glorify God... By proclaiming Christ, maturing in the faith, and giving our lives away. And so last week we took the first part of that, to glorify God by proclaiming Christ. And we kind of did a deep dive using Psalm 145 on how glorifying Christ, proclaiming Christ is the best and highest thing that we can do. It's what we're meant to do. It's what we're born to do. And we have a responsibility not only to do that, but to pass it on to the next generation. This is God's plan for bringing glory to himself throughout the earth is from generation to generation will proclaim the works and the goodness of God from Psalm 145. So we talked last Last week about our family strategy, and we introduced you to J.J. Jones, who's a new pastor on our staff that's going to be heading up our family discipleship strategy, and we, you know, really sort of cast some vision of what that might be like, and I just couldn't be more excited about what God's going to do, because he's put us in a place here in Franklin, Franklin Tennessee, where families are, are, it's a family-centric place. You've got parents, you've got grandparents, and even if you're not a parent or grandparent, there's an opportunity for us as a body to surround the kids that God's entrusted us to and raise them up in the knowledge and praise of the Lord. So that was last week, and I want to encourage you, if you weren't here, and I don't say this often, but take a little time, go on our website, and listen to that message. Not, not because of the message part, per se, but because of the vision, because of the idea of where we're going as a church. It'll help you understand what we believe God's put on our heart in our family discipleship strategy. This morning, we want to talk about the second part of the mission statement, which is also to glorify God, but to glorify God by maturing in the faith. 
to glorify God by maturing in the faith. So that's what we're going to focus on, and we've selected Psalm 1 to drill in on that. You've already heard that psalm read by Sharon earlier. The reason we selected this psalm is it's a beautiful picture of what maturing in the faith looks like. It's a beautiful picture of growth in Christ. So I want to drill into Psalm 1. Now here's how we'll work this. About 20 minutes of teaching on the psalm, and then about 20 minutes on the back end of explaining our strategy here at Fellowship for adult discipleship. And so about, the, uh, about halfway through this message, I'm going to bring Eric Hoffman up here and introduce him. And he and I together are kind of walk you through. Here's how we believe, along with the elders and other leaders at Fellowship, that God is calling us to live out this part of our mission in the upcoming year. Helping you as adults. You know, last week we talked about families. This week we're talking about adult discipleship. How do you grow? How do you take next steps in your faith? Now, 20 minutes on Psalm 1 is a little bit like going to an incredible breakfast buffet with one of those little bitty salad plates. You know what I'm talking about? Like, this psalm is so rich. Like, it's so wonderful. I wish we could have a whole series on Psalm 1. Maybe someday we'll come back to it. But I told Eric earlier, I had to work almost as hard this week in shortening my message as I did on the message itself. And here I am gabbing along, and I should be getting into the text. So let's actually do that. We'll start in uh, verses 1 and 2, and I'll just make a few brief comments. So I'll reread verses 1 and 2. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. In these first two verses, I want to focus on two words. The first word is blessed. Right, the very beginning of verse one, how blessed. Now, that word blessed or you know, blessed, depending on how you pronounce it, it, it has come in our context to have just a religious sort of flavor, and it's, it's lost all of its, uh, of its power. It's not, it's not a, a very attractive word, you know? When I think about blessed, you know, I think about, um, that, that, that's the greeting of the cashier at the Hobby Lobby, you know? <laughs> have a blessed day, you know? And you're kind of, okay, okay, what is, I don't know exactly what that means, have a blessed day. And we talk about blessing in all kinds of different contexts, but in this case, the word that's chosen for Psalm 1 in the Hebrew means happy. It means joyful, so how happy, how joyful, how full of life. You see, that's the context of it. How happy is the man? Now, verse 1, it begins by sort of talking about the negative before it talks about the positive. So how happy, how joyful, how full is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, etc., etc., etc. Now, what this psalmist is doing, and by the way, we don't, we don't know that this was a psalm of David. We don't know who wrote this psalm. It's not attributed to anyone particular. What the psalmist, the writer, is doing in this text is he's outlining these two paths. There's one path that leads to life, and there's one path that leads to death. And he's going to give us a vivid, vivid illustration of this. Now, I don't have the time to drill down into the rest of verse 1 in depth, but just make a note for future study on your own. If you drill into the words, there's some parallelism here in this verse that's very interesting. The words are sort of reflecting a deeper and deeper progression into stuckness, right? So this man that's not the happy one, not the blessed one, right? He starts out, if you look at it briefly in verse 1, he starts out walking, and then he starts standing, and he ends up sitting. You see, there's a progression here. You might say it this way. There is an inertia to the path of death, the second path. And I would say it's the path that we all go without even trying 
You know, this is the like, leave us to our own devices and we're going to end up on the wrong path kind of idea. But the psalmist wants to highlight a second path, the, the, the path of life. And in verse two, he describes that. So the second word I want to drill down on here is the word delight. Delight. Look at verse two. But here's the contrast. You know, he's not doing the, 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 the first path thing, the, the path of death. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Uh, delight's a very powerful word. It sort of taps into what you really want deep down, right? It's, if you're honest, what really gets you motivated to do anything is delight, right? So I, I delight in that activity, that hobby. I delight in that video game. I delight in, in that sporting event. I, I delight in that relationship that I have. It's whatever you naturally pursue. And so the psalmist is saying, not only does this person not, you know, go down this slippery path of, of walking and then standing and then sitting in, in the path of sin, but he's delighting in something far different than that. He's delighting in the law of the Lord. Now, we don't typically think about delighting in law. When we think about law, whether it's you know, civil law and speed limit, etc., or even God's law, at best, we usually think about respecting the law or obeying the law, but we don't think about delighting in the law. And so this is a bit of a puzzling choice of words until you realize when the psalmist says the law of the Lord... He's not talking about just the Ten Commandments or just kind of the rules, you know, do this, don't do that. He's talking about the whole revelation of God. And he's talking about the whole Scripture. So you hear that phrase, the law of the Lord, you've got to think the whole Scripture. Now, what is Scripture? Scripture is how we know who God is, what He's like, what He expects of us, how we engage with Him, how we interact with Him. Uh, Michael Easley likes to say Scripture is the mind of God in print, right? Scripture is God's self-revelation. So if you want to know about God, if you want to know God, you read the Scripture, you meditate on the Scripture. So this is how the psalmist can say, I delight in this because it reveals God. So it made me think, you know, this is a little bit of an embarrassing example, but this is the example I could think of. When I was a teenager, you know, the first girl I ever had a crush on, I hadn't met Jody yet, right? So, you know, Jody would have blown this other girl away. But anyway, the first girl I ever had a crush on, we used to write notes. Did y'all ever do this? I saved those notes, right? Everybody does. I put those notes in a special box, right? I delighted in that box of notes, right? It's what I meditated on. It's what I thought about day and night. You see, this is what the psalmist is saying about the scripture. This is a teenager infatuated by a new relationship. This is a sports fanatic infatuated with his favorite team. This is a parent delighting in the newborn child. See, that's the power of this idea of delighting in this. Now, let's talk about that phrase. Um, when you hear the phrase, day and night, I delight in this, don't think about uh, a monk, just sort of um, drudgery of studying the scripture day and night. That's, that's actually not what's going on here. You willingly delight in whatever captures your heart. And so the question, as I've thought about application this morning, as we'll go ahead and, and get there, is what do you delight in? What grabs a hold of your heart, right? What do you meditate on day and night as you're about to see? 
uh, that's what has your heart. What do you think about? Where does your brain go when it's on automatic? That's what has your heart. And the psalmist is saying the person who has the blessed life, remember the happiest, most joyful life, is the person who delights in the law of the Lord. In other words, delights in God himself, in God's revelation of himself. Throughout the scriptures, the word of God is equated with life. We did a series about a week and a half ago on the word of God, and and one of the things that we talked about is you can't separate God's word from his presence and from his action, his activity, his power. You can't separate those things. So you get into verse 3, and you're going to see how this man who takes delight in God himself, how he begins to flourish, how he begins to grow. And this is where the maturing in the faith really comes in. So let's look at verse 3 together. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and whatever he does, he prospers. Uh, Jody and I had an opportunity last spring to go to Israel with uh, Michael and Cindy Easley and a bunch of other folks from Fellowship. First time I'd ever been to Israel. Unbelievable trip. Uh, By the way, we're going back, and if you're interested in going to Israel, I'd love to talk to you about that. It'll be in the spring of next year. But when we were there, you know, a lot of incredible things we saw. One of the things we saw, though, reminded me of Psalm 1, verse 3. And I want to show you three pictures. So the first picture we'll put on the screen here is a picture of the desert in the south part of Israel near the Dead Sea. Now, when you think of Israel, this is probably the image that comes to a lot of your minds, right? Dry, desert. Most of the country's not, well, I shouldn't say most. A lot of the country's not like this. The northern part by Galilee is, is very lush and green. But this is the south end, close to the Dead Sea. And right near this is a huge body of water. But why is it so brown? Why is it so dead? Why is it so dry? Because the water has no life in it. That's why they call it the Dead Sea. Nothing can live in it. It doesn't bring any life right? It's so uh, acidic. It has so much salt content that it doesn't bring life to anything. But right in the same region, in fact, less than a mile from where this picture was taken, I want to show you the next slide. We're driving down the road and all of a sudden you see this. It's an oasis in the desert. Now, what do you know must exist there for that to be reality? Water. Water. So you see trees, you see green, you see life, and you think, wow, there must be water. And not only Water, because there's a bunch of water, right, just to, the, uh, just to the east of this, the Dead Sea. No, there's got to be fresh water. There's got to be living water, life-giving water. And sure enough, go ahead and go to the next slide. If you start poking around in that area, you see the oasis of Angedi. Now, this is uh, part of the waterfall. There's a stream. There's a, there, there's a, um, uh, um, a br- uh, what do you call it, when it comes out of the ground? Thank you, a spring. It's a natural spring and it bubbles over and there's beautiful waterfalls and pools and you can go swimming in it. It's fresh water. It's beautiful. There's a lot of history that happened here. This is where David hid nearby in a cave from Saul, you know, or, you know, Saul's in the cave and David sneaks up and cuts his, his robe. That's, that's where this happened. Now, Engedi is a beautiful place. The only reason it exists in a desert is because there's water. Water is necessary for life. And so going back to Psalm 1, the psalmist is saying here that this person who delights in the law of the Lord is going to be like a tree growing by streams of water, by life-giving water. In other words, he's saying life flourishes in connection to the source, in connection to the stream, in connection to the living water, which is God himself. Connection comes through the revelation of the word of God. And so 
if you understand the metaphor of the tree and the stream, you start to understand that Psalm 1 is far more beautiful than a picture of a man who's really religious. Psalm 1 is the picture of a man who is fully alive. Psalm 1 is the picture of someone who's flourishing, someone who's, you know, not just like doing the right do's and don'ts and memorize the books of the Bible and shows up to Sunday school on time every day, every week. It's not about that. It's about here's someone who's fully alive. Here's the true path of life. Here is the blessed life. This is a man or a woman who is leaving behind him or her a trail of wholeness, a trail of life for everyone he comes in contact with. So every person, every organization that he touches is more full of life because that person was there. Now the psalmist in verse 4 goes back to the path of death by way of contrast. Let's read it. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Huge contrast and metaphors from the flourishing tree. A tree by streams of water compared to a dead, dry, worthless shell left over from a seed discarded at the threshing floor. Right? You couldn't have a greater contrast between the seed and the shell, or the, uh, the tree, rather, and the shell. And then verses 5 and 6, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, here's the end destination of these two divergent paths. The path of life, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That sort of denotes this idea of relational intimacy, fatherly care. The way of the wicked will perish. It's this idea of not only will they themselves perish, but their whole course of life will perish. Uh, Charles Spurgeon has a great line about this. He says, the righteous plow the earth and fruit is the result of the harvest. The wicked plow the sea and the waves just wash right on over and you don't even remember the trail where they were right the the way of the wicked even will perish now what's the application here here's how i'd think about this all right psalm 1 vividly illustrates two paths available to you right there's path of life there's the path of death there's the path of flourishing of fruit producing and there's the path of just being blown away like chaff The problem is nobody in this room chooses the path of life all the time. If we're honest, our delight is rarely in the law of the Lord. We delight in things that are far more base. We often don't even obey God's word, much less delight in it. We're distracted, we're preoccupied, we're selfish, we're rebellious. We don't typically produce the kind of fruit that leads to life for other people. In other words, we've all self-selected the other path. Right? And this is, you're born into walking down this other path. It is the path more traveled, right? Not the path less traveled. And so as the progression of revelation of Scripture un- uh, unfolds, God himself has to intervene, right? So God himself comes to earth Right? This is where we get the New Testament beginning. Comes to earth as a man who lives out Psalm 1 perfectly. Because you and I can't do it. And nobody in this room is accurately described fully 
as this man or woman described in Psalm 1. None of us are on our own devices. So what it means to be a Christian is to put your trust in Jesus and be grafted into the tree, you see. You can't by your own will say, I'm going to be that man planted by streams of water. You have to be grafted into it. Christ is the true tree by the streams of water. So Jesus uses this exact analogy. He doesn't reference Psalm 1, but he uses an agricultural analogy in John 15 with his disciples. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. You're connected to me. And if you stay in me, if you abide in me, you will what? Bear much fruit, you see. That's how we get back to human flourishing, how we become alive again. That's why it's called a rebirth, why it's called being born again. That rebirth then allows you to start growing. You have to be born again first, and then you can start growing. Then you can start maturing in the faith. So that's what maturing in the faith is all about, going back to our mission statement. Glorify God by maturing in the faith. It's about becoming a fully flourishing man or woman, not just becoming more religious, not becoming a smarter sinner. It's about becoming a flourishing human being, about becoming fully alive in the pattern of the one who was the truest and fullest human being who ever lived, Jesus Christ. So the big idea for Psalm 1 and we're about to transition here in a minute to talk about how we're going to live this out as a church. But the big idea is spiritual maturity is God's absolute best intention for your life. It, it's not sort of like, well, if I choose to really become a, a Bible geek, then I'll start getting spiritually mature. No, man. You want to be that tree. You, you all do. We all want to be happy. We all want to be full. Ultimately, it's not about us. It's about something even higher, greater, glorifying God. But the beautiful thing about this is glorifying God, that path, and flourishing as a human being, that path, they correspond, right? That's how God designed it, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the path of flourishing. So how do you get there? How do you get there? Well, we know from Psalm 1, it's going to have something to do with the word of the Lord. It's going to have something to do with Scripture. And so if we've thought about maturing in the faith, uh, we, we've thought about how can we equip you? How can we help you drink that? How can we help you have access to that stream of the scripture and grow in your faith over and over? So I want to go ahead and bring up Eric, and we're going to talk about this strategy together. Now, as Eric's coming up here, I'll say this. Most of you know Eric. Eric's been here since the very beginning of the Franklin campus, the Franklin congregation. His title up to this point has been our campus pastor. And as we've sort of grown and developed and taken a look at our, our leadership model, what's really sort of evolved is a really beautiful uh, leadership partnership between Eric and myself. He and I work extremely well together. He's got gifts in all the places that I don't have gifts, which is wonderful. He, he's a tremendous strategist. He's a tremendous executor of vision. And so, and he and I have partnered together. We've come to realize over time, I don't know that that campus pastor title really describes him the best. So, he, uh, he's now going to be our executive pastor. And so what that means is his role is going to essentially be over our ministries in a more holistic way. And so we're excited about that. And uh, Eric, I love working with you. And uh, Eric has put a lot of thought into how do we help you as a body grow in Christ. And uh, I want, or he's going to tell you about this, but I'm so excited about this diagram, this visual, and this strategy that we have to help you mature in the faith. Yeah, I think you're pretty great too, Rob. Oh, dude. Um, Let's call it a day right now. We'll be done. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, so we've, been, we've been talking a lot about um, just clarity around a vision of 
how do you grow? Um, how do we equip you to mature in the faith? Like that's, that's really uh, what we're, uh, as leaders of this church, uh, equi- trying to do, equip you in, in your maturity in the faith. And so as, as Rob was talking about the tree in Psalm 1, that a, a tree that matures and, and it gives life and, and it's rooted in, in the word and, and the water is, is sustaining it, the source, a tree has developmental stages. Like you see a tree grow. You see, you know, if you cut it open, you see the rings, the growth that it has in these different stages. And so what we're thinking about is, okay, how could we articulate that in your spiritual life, you have stages of development too. That as a tree gets older, as it, as it matures to it, its full maturity, it brings shade and it brings habitat for others and it brings fruit. It, it sustains life, not only takes from the source, but also extends life uh, to others. That's what we want to communicate in this. And so in this diagram, if you actually pull out uh, your insert in the program, uh, we, just, we just label this maturing the faith, taking your next step. And I just want to walk through uh, this graphic that is on the side screens for you. And this is where we're going to take a deeper dive in this morning of we just want to bring clarity to you so to, 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 for you to take your next step for at the end of today for you to be able to come and say, okay, I know what my next step might be to maturing in the faith. So as we walk through this, let's, let's just look at this real quick. There are four different stages of growth that we are, are seeing in your development in your spiritual life with God. And there's different environments, which we'll talk about in just a second. But I'm just going to walk through the one, two, three, four that you see on your page. So the first one is worship together, that we engage with God, but that we're also being connected to his church. So when you come to faith, you become an adopted child of God, but you also join his church the, the second stage is you begin serving God and others. You begin uh, taking a step out and saying, okay, I am actually going to shift from just being all about me to actually serving and using the gifts God has given me to give life to others. There's different opportunities there for that, which we'll, we'll dive into. The third one is groups and studies. We, we, as we mature, we are to grow deeper with our, in our relationship with God, but also grow deeper in our relationship with with others. And there's many different ways that forms that that takes, but that is the next step in our spiritual growth. And then the fourth would be just as a tree, as it matures, it begins helping others. It begins building habitat, bringing fruit, bringing life to those around it. And so the fourth one we'll talk about, we haven't really talked about much about this, but this is where we really want to focus in that we, our hope would be that everyone would at some point enter into a stage where they would begin discipling someone else. They would begin not only focusing on how they're following Jesus, but how they can take what they have learned and help others follow Jesus. That's what the fourth stage is. And so we're going to take a deep dive in that. But what you notice on this, in this graphic, is that as it goes one, two, three, four, the environments of that growth in that stage actually get smaller. And we believe that that's true, that as you first come to faith, the, the, the main environment you come to is Sunday mornings, and then you start serving, and it's in, a, it's in a classroom setting, or it's in a smaller group, and then you get involved in community, and that, that circle gets a little bit tighter. And then discipling relationship is usually sitting across a table or studies in a, in a round circle. Like as the environment changes, the thing that actually happens is the commitment level for you to take actually increases. And as you become more committed and intentional about your growth, the thing that actually happens is God can use that 
and there be greater growth in those as you take those steps into those different environments. So what we're going to do is we just want to walk through what each of these stage, um, in broad categories, what each of these developmental stages looks like, and then what your, my, your next step might look like in that stage. So Rob's going to take us through stage one. Great. And I'll say this. What I love about this handout right here, it makes it so clear and simple for you to know how to take your next step. So wherever you are. So you can see listed under each of these categories some opportunities, some events, some things to take advantage of. Let's talk about stage one worship together. This is what we're doing right here, right? Now, this is obviously our largest venue that we do, the Sunday morning worship services. So we have about 500 adults that gather between the two services. We've got another, what, you know, over you know, two, um, sometimes almost 300, 300 kids, kids that, yeah. that come. So it's, it's a lot of folks that are gathering. Uh, we, we've learned a couple of things over time. One is we've learned that most of you are coming to church somewhere between two or three times a month. That's just sort of the pattern that you come. The second thing that we've noticed is we have a lot of folks that come in about 15 or, or, or 10 or 15 minutes in, within the service. And I, I get that part of it because like I'm a family. I've got young kids myself, and it's hard to get here on time. But I want to share with you the vision for our worship services, for what we do on every Sunday morning. When we come here... Uh, you know, Psalm 1 talks about all being based on Scripture, all being based on the Word of God. That's certainly true about the way we teach, right? Expositional teaching is a hallmark of who we are and will continue to be. But it goes beyond that, just the sermon part, to the whole worship service. Uh, you probably haven't noticed, but what we've started doing is we've started inserting a little bit of a rhythm into our worship services. And it goes something like this. We'll always start with a song or two up front at the top that's focused upward that's focused on glorifying God, that's focused on praise, so the attributes of God, praising Him, glorifying Him. And, and sort of that's sort of the, the, the entryway into the worship service, is to say, God, you're great. Here's what happens, though. If you really focus on God's greatness and you're being honest about it, you will be struck at some point in time with the sense of your own fallenness. And so what we've started to do more intentionally is have a point in the service where we confess our sins, together. Sometimes it's just a song with that as a theme. Sometimes like this morning, we'll be led through a corporate reading with maybe some space to pray silently, but it's a time of confession. Then after that time of confession, we'll have another song or two that is an assurance of pardon. So songs about redemption, songs about the gospel, songs about our salvation. So then we can celebrate again. So if, you, if you're following this flow, it's God-centered, like the Father, creation, glory up top. Then it's Christ-centered, which is where we confess our sins and receive forgiveness of sins through the cross. And then when we get to the message part, it's spirit-centered because the spirit is the one that authored the scripture and the spirit is the one that speaks the scripture fresh to us through the reading of God's word and through the preaching of the message. And then once the sermon is complete, there's always going to be some kind of response whether it's another song, whether it's a prayer, this is an opportunity for us to be led by the Spirit to respond to the hearing of God's Word and then at the end of the message to be sent out into the world. So we're gathered in to be sent out. And the whole service has a flow to it, a rhythm to it. So the ask that, you're gonna, that we're going to make, if, if at all possible, if you're able to be here on time and enter into that whole process, enter into that whole flow, God is working in us through that process to shape us and form us. So that's that first one of, of worshiping together. And Eric's going to talk a bit more about our connection process under that. Yes, we've, we've done a lot of work in the, in the last year and a half about really focusing on and making a clear path for how you get connected to his church. And so we, we want to just kind of go over this uh, so it's really clear for those of you who are new um, that you, you understand how do I get connected here at Fellowship Franklin. 
Um, so one, one thing we want to run over is just the, the path. We have explore, connect, and join. So explore is our class, and we actually have it coming up on August 28th. And all of these are on our website that you can actually go on and register for even this morning. And so explore is if you are new, we want you to come to that class so you can get to know us. We, we can tell you who we are, our story, our mission, our vision, uh, and then how you can get better connected here uh, at Fellowship. We just want to, it's kind of an introduction class, a welcome to Fellowship Franklin, and, and here's, we can come alongside you and getting connected. The, the second part is where I want to bring a little bit more clarity on. I think there's been a little bit of confusion around connect and what it is and who it's for. And so connect is, is really whether you are brand new, you've been here for months, or you've been here for years, but you're, you're, you're attending, but you're, you're maybe not serving or you're not connected in a community. And we're going to talk about how to get connected in a, to a community group. Uh, we're, we're relaunching that. And Rob's going to talk more about that in, in stage three. But the thing that we want to talk about Connect is Connect is really for that night of finding your place to serve in this local congregation and finding your place in community. We want, if you are, are struggling in those two places, we want you to come to Connect. So whether you're brand new and you want to get connected and start serving and joining the community, or whether you've been here for a long time and you've just struggled to find a place to serve or find a place in to get into community. We are going to be launching groups out of that. We're going to be launching uh, places. You're going to hear from team members about how to serve and join teams. And so that is Connect. Our next Connect is September 18th. Again, you can register for that online. But I would just, I'd just write that date down, put it in your calendar, make sure you're there um, that night. The third one is Join. And we haven't um, talked so specifically about this one. I want to highlight this one. Join is our membership process. And so our membership process is for the, those who are moving from uh, just an attender to now being a, a contributor, like you want to join, you're committed to this body, you're, you put your faith in Christ, and you're saying, I am committed to the, the doctrine, the beliefs, I'm committed to the people of this church, I want to become a member here. That is what, that is what join is for. In this process, we really walk you through understanding your own story in light of God's grace, how to communicate the gospel through your story, how to understand the gospel better, but then also what it looks like for you to become a covenant member where you actually join in and you say, okay, I'm going to serve. That's part of being a member here. I'm going to give my time, talents, and treasure, but I'm also, I'm also going to enter into community with others here. I'm committed here. The reason why membership matters is this. In our culture, it is so easy to be consumeristic about everything. And it doesn't stop when it comes to the church. It's in all of us. It's easy for us to come into the church and say, okay, what, what, are you, what, is, what is the church going to do for me? I like this. I don't like that. This, this is good. This is okay. Others are doing it better. I mean, it would be like us, uh, me recommending to my son Luke, Hey, uh, when you get old enough, you know, to swim on your own, go find a family that has a pool because that'd be more convenient for you. And then come back uh, when, when, you're, when you're ready for something else in another stage. No, see, it's, it's the mindset of a membership speaks against consumerism in our own hearts. It does. It says, I'm committed to this family of faith, even if things get a little inconvenient, even if things get a little hard. This is my family that I belong to. And so why that matters is it's moving from a renter to an owner. I loved renting an apartment for several reasons, because when something broke, what did I do? 
I called and complained to somebody else because it's their problem, right? I don't own the space I rented. But when I own my own house, who do I call? I have to call myself or call some professional and then I pay for it. So what membership is, is it's moving from just being an intender to a contributor, from just being someone who is is saying, what what can the church do for me? The reminder of membership is, this is, we are the church. The people of God are the church. It's not something we come and consume. It's something we give our lives to. And so we would would just implore you, if you've been here uh, for months or years and you're committed to this church, we want you to walk in that step and that process and take that step of maturity and faith and commit to being a covenant member here at Fellowship Franklin. Um, and what, you, what you're doing in that is you're saying, I'm committed not only to the theology and doctrine of what you guys believe, but I'm committed to those around me. And so as we do that, we are stepping into maturity. Um, join is, uh, just so you can mark it down on your calendars, October 23rd. Uh, that leads us right into the next stage of, of what you'll see in there is serving. Serving God and serving others. The thing that we want to communicate in this is when, when Paul talks about in the New Testament, uh, New Testament writings and, and the letters, when he talks about the church, he's talking about the church as a members, a, a body that has all sorts of members that comprise it, that these members have giftings and that they're to use their gifts for building up the church. So it brings the church to a healthy maturity that we would reach the fullness in Christ together, that we need one another. And so serving reminds us that we have something to give. And if we don't bring that or contribute that to the, to the church, someone else isn't going to reach fullness and maturity. Like that, that's what Paul is saying. He is saying that we need everyone to contribute and to serve and to use their giftings because by using their giftings, they're helping others reach fullness in Christ and reach maturity in the faith. So if you think about it this way, if you think about it as, as the body, of the picture of the body that Paul is talking about, we need each other to serve and to use what God has given us, our time, talents, and resources, our giftings that he has given to us, because someone else needs that nourishment. Our kids need that nourishment. Our students need that nourishment. Uh, other adults in this room need us. We need each other. So serving is actually moving us again from just being focused on what we can get out of it to helping others. It's shifting our mindset. It's shifting from what I can just get to what can I bring that others might be nourished, that we can lift up and reach this body, reach fullness and maturity, and become the church that God has designed us to be. And that next step is joining in and serving in some capacity. So we've talked the last few weeks about our model. Our model here at Fellowship for all this to work is as much as you're able to worship one service Mm -hmm. and serve another service. And uh, I just want to say a huge thank you because last week and really over the last few weeks, we've been asking, hey, we need some volunteers in our children's ministry, which is the second insert you had in the program. And last week alone, about 30 of you said yes to that. Mm -hmm. So I want to thank you for that. I actually asked Connie for, hey, I want to see a list of names of everybody that has said yes to this. And I just read through that list and I literally just name by name just thanked God for you and celebrated Mm -hmm. uh, that, that you said yes to that. Here's the great news. If you look at the back of this insert, we only need 12 more folks. Like to fully staff fellowship kids for the upcoming year. 
right? We only need 12 more folks. And so if you're able to serve one of the two services, uh, you can be one of those final 12. Like, you know, think, you know, the, the, the call of Jesus to his 12, right? You can be one of the 12. Uh, that, that's an overreach. That's an overreach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, we would encourage you to do that, and thank you to those of you that have. It just makes such a really big difference. And the last thing I want to say about the second stage of serve, notice in the background of this graphic, there's a cityscape. Serving is not just about serving in these four walls. Mm-hmm. We want to be servants of Christ out in our community. And so next week, our third priority, we're going to talk about how we think God's leading us to, to take an external focus mm-hmm. uh, with some of our ministry. And you'll hear more about that next week, but I just wanted to plant that seed in your head. So we talked about, number one, worship together, which includes our worship service and our, you know, our, our explore, connect, join process. Number two, serving together, which is both inside the church, and then next week we'll talk about outside the four walls. And then let's go to stage three, and we'll talk about this one a little more briefly. Groups and studies. Eric mentioned this a minute ago. For a long time, we talked about community groups as part of this church. In fact, it's a big part of Fellowship's DNA, a small group model. But in the last few years, you haven't heard a lot about community groups, right? We were sort of reevaluating strategically, where do we want to put energy? Where do we want to put resources? And honestly, we've come back to this idea that we need to be connected in smaller communities, sitting around living rooms, sitting around kitchen tables in order for us to mature, in in order for us to flourish together. It goes back to that idea that Eric said of like the environments get smaller and smaller and the growth gets greater and greater. Mm -hmm. So we're going to relaunch officially community groups. We're going to rename them, rebrand them a little bit. They're now going to be called fellowship groups. Um, We're bringing someone on part-time to help us with that. Matt Ranzo has been a part of our body, he and his family, for about two years. We got a picture of he and his family. They're here this morning with us in the service. So Matt, his wife Darlene, and their two children, Emilio and Sophia. You've probably seen them out. They're they're well-connected in this body, and they're leaders of community group themselves. And uh, Matt is going to be here as a pastoral resident as he's pursuing God's call in his life to transition from uh, the marketplace to a full-time vocational ministry. So he's going to be here this year leading us and how do we get our body better connected in fellowship groups. So if you're interested in being in a small group, you're even interested in learning more, write this date on your calendar, September 18th. Make sure, is that the right date? <laughs> Before I me, tell them to write down the calendar, the connect, yeah, the connect event that Eric talked about earlier is where you're going to come if you want to get connected to a fellowship group, as well as if you want to learn about other opportunities to mm-hmm. get connected. So that's the big takeaway. Come to connect on September 18th. Yeah, and so the second uh, part of its groups would be the first part of stage three, and then the second part would be studies. So when we think about studies, think about um, equipping workshops that we've done, think about men's and women's studies. There's, there's several different things that are listed in that. But the thing that I want to say about every one of our studies is, is this. The aim is not just for getting you more information, although that is great. The aim in, in this stage is for transformation, to grow deeper with God and deeper with others. And the thing that from Psalm 1 that we even learn, even just in Psalm 1 and throughout the whole scriptures, is that how we change is through God's word, with God's people, by God's spirit. Let me say that again. With God's word at the center, with God's people, by God's spirit. And we're actually going to make these signs and, and put them in our church that says God's word, God's, God's people, God's spirit, so that we're reminded that that is how we change. We don't fully uh, transform into the image of Christ or, or grow deeper with God and with others apart from just separating those out. 
every one of our studies aims to do those three things together and ask God's Spirit to do a work that only He can do. And in that, in that vein, that's why we came up with the, uh, this, this curriculum, Becoming a Wholehearted Disciple, which we, we've done it with uh, men in the last couple of, of years, but it's a year-long process. Now, we're launching with women. I did it last year, piloted last year, launching it this year. Um, fully on, on Wednesdays, but we, we are, are trying to get to the heart of how do we actually experience whole life transformation in Christ? Not just behavior modification, like we, we just change a few behaviors or do a few things different, but how do we actually change? Like how does God actually grow us? And how does the gospel, how does it, we actually bear fruit in every area of our life, implications of how we love others, how we relate to our spouses, relate to our kids. The gospel comes to bear on all of those things. And so walking through all of those things, but asking God to do a work that only he can do in changing our hearts. And that's asking the Spirit to intervene into those parts of our story. So as we, uh, we're using this as developing leaders, and so this is how we're going to grow ministry and how we're going to grow studies and how we're going to grow groups, is by developing leaders. Our greatest asset of the church is not our building, it's y'all. It's our people. And so as our leaders grow and as we develop more and more leaders, our ministry will actually grow. We'll be able to offer more opportunities for men to meet at different times, at at night for guys who can't come in the morning. And and same for women. As we develop more women's ministry leaders, as we develop more women and and men and and couples together, we'll be able to offer more ministry. And so in the fall, we're going to be talking about re-engage and and what built to last and the ministry that's happening there and and opportunities for you guys to, to dive in into those opportunities. But this all flows into stage four. To reach maturity in the faith, we would love to see, we haven't talked about stage four so much with clarity. We want to bring clarity to this today. We desire, and I think it's clear in the scriptures, a great commission is that we would all be disciples, people who follow Jesus. That's sort of what we're supposed to be doing is following Jesus, but also helping others follow Jesus, either bringing them into relationship with Christ, helping them reach maturity in Christ, or coming alongside them in some season of their life. And so if you see, if you look at stage four, you can see that this is really about helping others follow Christ. And the examples that are are given there are becoming a a, a mentor, a marriage mentor, a parenting mentor, uh, becoming a fellowship group leader, becoming a study leader, those type of things, uh, starting a discipling relationship. Here's the thing that I get really excited about. We're going to talk about this uh, next week as well. But what would it look like for our body, for our church, if more and more of us were saying, I want to help others in their walk with Christ? See, as we grow, our growth is not to be hoarded for ourselves. Our growth is not to say, okay, this is so great. God, oh man, I'm so, I'm so different than I was before and, like, and just feel good about that. Growth is to be stewarded into the lives of others. God's grace given is to be God's grace extended to others. And so as we grow, we are to be looking for who can I bring alongside in my life to invest in and to steward what God has done in my life into others. And so our hope is that more and more of you, as you grow in your marriages, will begin to mentor others in their marriages. Our hope is is that more and more of you, as you continue to grow and see what God has done in you, and as you maybe you've raised your kids, you come back and you say, "I want to help 
be a parenting mentor to those who are in the early stages of parenting. Our hope is that more and more of you will be looking at your neighborhood and your workplace as an opportunity to say, how can I help someone start a relationship with Christ and then help them mature in their relationship with Christ? Our hope is that more and more of us will begin to ask, God, how can I steward what you have done in my life into the lives of others? That would be health. That would be what we are hoping for, that we would reach maturity in the faith, that we would be a healthy church that is doing those things. Amen. So the big takeaway from all this, wherever you are in that process, Mm -hmm. we want to invite you to take a next step. Mm -hmm. And maybe you're someone who, you know, you've just been coming on Sunday mornings. Great. You know, keep coming. I hope it's a blessing to you. But maybe it's time to join. Maybe it's time to engage. Maybe it's time to start serving. Maybe it's time to join a group and that's sort of three or, or be a part of a study. Some of you have been in the groups. You've been in the studies. It's time for you to now say, hey, I'm, I'm willing to help lead. If you can help me, equip me, train me, I'm willing to step into that leadership role. Wherever you are, let us know. And so the back of this, if you just turn it over, you see a listing of all the staff members, the pastors that are here at Fellowship Franklin. There's, there's three guys there at the bottom that have ministries that we're connected to at the Brentwood campus who office at the Brentwood campus. But this is going to give you the contact information to know. So if there's something on this front page that you want more information about, contact the person on the back that corresponds to that area of ministry. And if you don't know who to contact, Contact Eric, and he'll get you connected with the right person. We have a prayer that we've written for this stage. So last week we had a prayer about family ministry. You know, this series is called Prayers of the Church, right? So here's our prayer for maturing in the faith. Our prayer is this, that each member of this body would take their next step of growth, maturing in the faith to the glory of God. Eric, why don't you lead us in prayer along those lines? Yeah. Yeah, would you stand with me? We're going we're gonna to close in a, in a song, actually. But I want, I want us to stand. Father, we desire what you desire. That your desire for each one of us is that we would grow in our understanding of you, but that we would walk in communion with you. That the implications of the good news of Jesus would not be just something that we, we know about or have head knowledge about, but God, that it would penetrate to our hearts and affect all that we do. God, that we as a church body would walk in unity of the faith, that we would help each other, encourage one another, teach one another, serve one another. And as we do, God, as we take these steps in maturing in the faith, as you grow us, because it is you that will grow us, God, that you would bring our whole church to maturity in you. That not only uh, our church body would, uh, these members, God, that your people would be different, but God, that it would start bleeding over into our communities, into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, into our living rooms. God, that we would be uh, people that would help usher people into your kingdom and help them reach maturity in you. God, it's a work that only you can do. It's a work that we're fully dependent on you for. And so God, we surrender and submit to you. And God, we sing this last song as a prayer to you, to each other, that you are our firm foundation and there is no other. God, we pray this in your name together. Amen.